It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. I am so thrilled that you are here. If you are a new listener, welcome to the radio show and podcast. And if you're returning, thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review and let me know what you think about the show and the kind of guests you would like to hear. And today's show is going to be powerful because we're talking all about pleasure. And if you'd like to experience more pleasure in your life and create a more satisfying and even amazing sex life at at midlife. So you are rocking your midlife. Well, you're going to want to stay tuned. You may want to grab some paper and take some notes because today's guests are going to provide you with empowering information that is going to help boost your pleasure factor and heal so you feel good. We are going to be talking with Dr. Kelly Kasperson. She is one of the world's leading sexual educators and registered dietitian, nutritionist, and holistic cannabis practitioner, Janice Bissex, who is going to help us. We cannabis fact from fiction. And I have been enjoying Dr. Kelly's book. So informative, so important because, you know, midlife is the time to reclaim and rediscover your pleasure, all kinds of pleasure. And I find it midlife with the women that I work with, we kind of forget, right? We forget about pleasure for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, we allow ourselves some pleasure in the food realm. And I've been a dietitian for over 30 years. And sometimes we go overboard and then we feel guilty. And then we don't think about other aspects of pleasure in our lives, like making love, like taking a nap, like cuddling with your fur baby, getting a massage. And I know I have been really leaning into pleasure a lot because of its healing power. Pleasure is really really the way we thank the universe for being alive. And if you've been following me, you know, I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in April. And I got to say that afternoon nap that I've been enjoying really revitalizes me, makes me feel so good. But, you know, there's a couple of reasons why we kind of lose our connection with pleasure at midlife. Um, One of them is, you know, first of all, we don't exactly love our bodies, negative body image does not go away at midlife. And when you don't love your body, you're not going to be tuning into feeling good, what feels good to you. And so pleasure is really a way to connect with all of your senses to really give yourself permission to feel good. And what's really um exciting is you can shift your body image. Now, I used to work with women, they used to think, well, if we lose weight and we get in shape, then I'll love my body. But it, it never works because body image is really in your brain. It's not actually in your body. And a couple of things you can do. First of all, you know, thank your body for keeping you alive. You have like 32 trillion cells that are working together to keep you alive and focus on function and not just form. And then one thing that you might not have thought about is practice self-compassion. What my research showed is that practicing self-compassion essentially treating yourself the way you would a good friend actually reduces body shame, reduces body dissatisfaction, self-worth based on appearance, and it increases body appreciation. And so many ways you can do that. But if you're listening and you're not driving right now, you might want to try a little self-compassion soothing touch. What this does is it raises your levels of a hormone called oxytocin, which is the mammalian chemical of care and connection. So just go ahead, maybe put one hand on your cheek, maybe stroke your cheek. Just notice what is it like to touch yourself? What does your hand feel like? What does your cheek feel like? And maybe both hands on your cheek. Maybe give yourself a little hug. Notice what does it feel like to give yourself some TLC, some loving kindness? Perhaps stroking one arm or placing a hand on your heart, maybe rubbing your chest, noticing what that feels like, maybe a hand on your belly. So it's just a simple exercise you can do anytime just to connect with yourself, connect with that pleasure. Because when you love and care for your body, really so many things get better in your life. You're healthier, you're happier, you take better care of your body. And your sexual pleasure also increases when you connect with your own body. We're going to be talking a lot 
thought about that. And I have to say, sexual pleasure really can rock at midlife. You know, for me, when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s, initially, you know, I was kind of like wanted to be that Angela, Angela, um, the uh, Angeli, not Angelina Jolie, the Angeli woman. Remember that perfume for the 24 hour woman where you, you know, you, you brought home the bacon, you fried it in a pan, you put the kids to sleep and then you didn't let him forget he was a man. It was this idea that we were supposed to be, you know, this thing for there's a lot of objectification going on. And my, you know, my sex life wasn't really always great. And it was kind of one of those things I felt like I had to check off. And then what happened to me is, you know, after my divorce, I started dating again. And the interesting thing is that the man that I'm now engaged to, my, my Kenny, actually has BPH. So he has benign prostate hyperplasia. So the as Dr. Kelly will talk a lot about, the, the, you know, penis and vagina thing was just not happening. And so we really developed this very strong connection, this bond, and found other ways to give and receive pleasure, to learn how to really connect and adore each other. And now things are starting to work better. And because we have this incredible foundation, our sex life is really, really beautiful right now. So wherever you are at, the show is really going to help you to reclaim pleasure in the bedroom and other places in your life. And so I want to uh, tell you about our next guest. She is Dr. Kelly Kasperson. She is a urologist. She is a wife. She is a mom. She's a sex educator educator and top international podcaster whose mission is empowering women to live their best love lives. Kelly identified the need for better resources and developed a sex education class for women that covers topics like sexual health, intimacy, mind work, and the science of desire. She combines education, humor. Her book is filled with wonderful humorous antidotes and sidebars. It's not dry at all. It's a great read. It's called You Are Not Broken. And she dismantles the myths women have learned and normalizes healthy, enjoyable sex worth desiring. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Dr. Kelly. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And thanks for your book and what you're doing. It's it's amazing when I started reading it and realizing, gosh, we've developed this whole way, social way of being around sex, both medically and also in the media that really doesn't celebrate uh, the fact that, you know, sex is supposed to feel good and be pleasurable and help us connect with ourselves and our partner. I mean, first question is, how do we get here? Lack of education. There are zero states in, in America that mandate pleasure as part of sex education, right? So we don't get taught that it's pleasurable at all. And then we feel like we're broken when it's not pleasurable at all. It's like we don't get an education and then we're kind of fumbling around in the dark or we get kind of set in these sex scripts, right? Or this pattern that is, gets very boring for a lot of people as, as midlife comes on. So I always say it's lack of education. Yeah, the education's really, really bad. My daughter is actually a sex educator and she did her thesis, her master's thesis, looking at the Dutch sexual education curriculum. Pleasure wasn't mentioned once and consent wasn't mentioned once, which is, and you think about, you know, the Dutch being a little bit more advanced, but so many of us, and I remember my sex education, I think it was just about menstruation. I don't think we learned anything other than you weren't supposed to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think about mine and I think for a lot of women, what we remember about sex ed is the ovaries and the uterus, right, which are reproductive organs, but have very little to do with actually what what happens with sex, how do you create pleasure with sex. So the body parts are ignored, not named. And then here we are not knowing how to work anything. It starts with naming the body parts. Yeah. And so I guess we can start there. Can we name the body parts so we can start a conversation correctly? Yeah. I mean, I think well, to just to start to name a thing that people commonly do is they call everything down there the vagina, right? And the vagina is actually the inside tube that passes menstrual blood or the baby, right? Or the penis goes in. But the outside structures are the vulva and the labia, and then also the clitoris, which runs underneath the labia. There's a lot more clitoris than what meets the eye. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, you talk, talk about it extensively in the book of how it really extends um, extensively. And so there's so much pleasure that can be had. And I thought it was so interesting that it actually expands. So it's like you have to be aroused in order to be able to receive the penis. 
Yeah, that's right. We have erectile tissue and we need blood flow, just like the penis has erectile tissue and needs blood flow in order for it to feel sexually pleasurable and to get the job done. And so many women, because we're not taught that, just rush to that standard intercourse that might be painful because they didn't get proper arousal, or they might wonder why they don't enjoy it because they weren't properly aroused first before they decided to put something in the vagina. This is important sex ed for any gender, for any body part owner to understand yeah, it's really important to understand your needs and that women, we, we need some foreplay and we also need lubrication, which you talk extensively about yeah. and maybe toys and experimenting. And so why does great sex matter? Like, why should we care about improving pleasure in the bedroom? Yeah, there's so many reasons. But from a relationship standpoint, if you're in a sexual relationship, it can really maintain pair bonding, make people feel close to each other, make make people feel like this is what we have that nobody else has together, right? Really helps that pair bonding and that intimacy that people really want. And if we stop that sexual, you know, whatever sex intercourse is for a couple, you'll often see they stop going to bed at the same time. They stop holding hands. They stop sitting next to each other on the couch, like all of the Missy goes away because either there's issues in the bedroom or they don't know how to talk about it. So all of the intimacy goes away. Yeah, because when you are when you are engaged in sex and you're increasing your oxytocin, you're making each other feel good and having that incredible connection. I think one of the things we get it wrong, though, is sometimes I feel like we put the cart before the horse. We're told like we're supposed to like jump in bed and then we're in a long term relationship. Everything kind of fizzles, particularly if there's kids involved. Yeah, you're right. I always worry about that because people like we, we like to compare, right? So we're like, just tell me how many times a week I, we should have sex. And it's like, it's about the quality, not the quantity, not the numbers. So it's not just, again, the book, Stop Shooting All Over Your Sex Life, is like, we think it needs to be a certain way. But what works for your relationship is unique to your relationship. And that's to be, you know, negotiated and communicated. Again, the problem with education, nobody gets taught how to talk about this with their spouse or significant other until usually there's a problem, right? And now we have no tools and there's a problem. So it's a really big stress for a lot of people. And we rarely see it in the media as well, in movies or on you know television shows where intimacy is portrayed in a way that is educational and realistic. Yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, we, we actually did get an education. It's Hollywood or the top 10 country hits, right? And that they're all myths usually of like orgasm should be fast and spontaneous and equal. You know, we should have them together. Spontaneous desire is normal, which we know it's not, especially in long term relationships. So there's so much education that is miseducation that we're getting. Yeah. And that's a great point you make in the book, too, that you do need to plan, particularly, you know, if you've got kids running around, you actually we always think, well, let's make it fun and spontaneous. But you've got to, like, put it on the schedule or it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I say it's just like, you know, planning to eat vegetables versus and planning to be physically active, right? Like, I'm not sitting around desiring carrots, but I know that I want this as part of my life, part of my lifestyle. So I'm going to plan for it. And what we practice and what we prioritize tends to grow. Yeah, making a habit, maybe making it a ritual that you do at certain times and communicating. But I think that can be sexy, too. I love that you use that term sexy, like what is sexy? But I think talking about it, planning it, maybe spending quality time together before, after, just making it something that the two of you are going to prioritize is a real step in the right direction. So if somebody's listening, and I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who are saying, I just have no sexual desire. My libido is like super low. What do you say to the woman who's completely at a loss of how to get her sex drive moving again? Yeah, well, one thing to know is it's very common. Again, a myth is that libido is an innate desire like hunger or sleep, right? It isn't. And what we know is the less sex you have, the less you actually want it. So it works very different than I'm I'm hungry or I'm sleepy or I'm thirsty, right? So breaking that apart, the people who have more regular sex actually want more regular sex because they remember how good it is. They remember what joy it brings. Well, we kind of forget that. Right. So one thing is like good sex begets better sex. But if you're at a point where you're in a, you know, a, let's say a sexless marriage or it's been a long time or there's pain, pain, we've got to address the pain, see a doctor or physical therapist. But just start realizing that we need to prioritize her pleasure because so many women in a, and again, in a heterosexual relationship, her pleasure is kind of secondary. It's not as important. It doesn't really matter if she has the orgasm. And then she kind of loses interest in that game. 
And it's like, of course you did. The, you know, the pleasure wasn't equal. Have you heard of the orgasm gap, right, in heterosexual couples? So the man has an orgasm about 95% of the time. The woman has an orgasm about 60% of the time. Well, she might not be interested in going to that party. So it's, you know, instead of blaming myself for low libido, it's like, are you, number one, are you having sex that's worth desiring in the first place? Yeah, and you talk about in the book too, the difference in terms of time, how what it takes for men versus women to, to climax. I think men was about seven minutes, women was about 13.4 4 minutes. So it takes yeah, longer. But, but only when you partner the woman with a man. When right. she masturbates, she's like, because, you know, again, a myth is like, oh, well, women are more complicated. They just take longer. And it's like, well, no, they actually take the exact same amount of time. You just partner them with a man and the time goes up, which is fascinating and good to know. And again, you know, it shows us like, we're, we live in a country of like five minute meals and, you know, 30 minute lawyer consultations of like, we think that faster is better. And in sex, like, what's the rush, right? And even just pressuring fast to have an orgasm or pressuring your partner to have an orgasm takes away the body's ability to have an orgasm because now you've got that like, you know, pressure on top of it. So I would say like faster is not better and women aren't more complicated. We just don't know her structures. We don't know what turns her on. Maybe we've never even allowed her to touch herself, right? So it's all, again, that lack of education that gets into trouble in the bedroom. Yeah, I think it was deeper than that too. There's also a lot of times people have guilt around masturbating, around touching themselves, around exploring this. So how do you get over some of the stigmas that we have unfortunately built up around our sexuality? Yeah, I think the first step is really realizing what our beliefs are, right? Like, what are our beliefs about sexuality? What are our beliefs about our sexual organ? Were you taught that sex was bad or dirty or not enjoyable or that it was hard? Whatever it might be, everybody's got different beliefs, but really writing those down and uncovering where they are in your life and how they're controlling your results. And then to realize you didn't put those there. They were probably put there from, you know, society or your religion or your mom or your first boyfriend. How many times do I see a woman, she's in her 60s and she's like, my first boyfriend in the 20s told me my labia was ugly. She just decided to carry that with her for the rest of her life. And it's like, well, he wasn't a labia expert, right? Why are you carrying those unhelpful beliefs into the bedroom with you? So it's uncovering our thoughts because then we can decide to discard them. Yeah, that's what I love about your book and the work you're doing, because you're actually drawing on your expertise as urologist, but also you've become a coach and really you've got a background in neuroscience and understand that. And what's so great about You Are Not Broken, too, is the whole point is there's nothing wrong with you. So if you're listening and you're thinking, my God, I just can't even remember the last time I had sex, I wanted sex. There is nothing wrong with you, as Dr. Kelly was saying, when it's off your plate the desire goes away and it's going to take some time. Just like when somebody's going to the gym for the first time in ages, they're not going to start off with a, you know, the top level CrossFit. They're going to start off with like 10 minutes on the treadmill and maybe some little bicep curls to really start to explore. So for woman's just saying, okay, I want to give this a shot. I want to start to explore what turns me on. Maybe I want to play a little bit with my partner. Where do we begin besides buying your book? Yeah. I mean, I'd start with my book because it's not in your Face. It's not sexy, right? Like my next advice, if you want to like see things or get ideas for actual like pleasure and arousal, omgyes.com is an amazing educational website. There's going to be more there than you ever want to view. So it's like for all levels. Um, another thing for mid-age people to consider is that the vulva the vagina, the clitoris all require estrogen to work at their healthiest. So putting in an estrogen cream, and I'm not talking about systemic hormones. I'm talking about this is skin care for down there is something that so many women, perimenopause, postmenopause will stop having sex because it's painful. Again, lack of education. We just think menopause is hot flashes. We never knew it causes atrophy of the vulva and vagina because those tissues need estrogen to be moist, to be soft, to have good blood flow and collagen. So certainly this might involve a trip to the doctor because in America, it is a prescription. In several other countries, it is over the counter, which I would love to see. Well, I didn't know about that. So, But it's interesting because as you talk about in your book, a lot of gynecologists actually don't have education around sexuality. 
That's right. Yeah, I was I, I say in my book, but I ran into a good friend from med school at the International Women's Sexual Health Conference. And I was literally I was like, what are you doing here? Because my stereotype was like the gynecologists are just handling all this, right? It's like the rest of us that don't know anything. And they're like, no, 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 we didn't get any training either. They're incredibly busy. They've got so many other things on their plate. Pleasure and maintaining a, a healthy sexual life is something a lot of them didn't get training in either. And I think part of that's our very patriarchal medical training system, right? If we're trained by men who are trained by men who are trained by men, when did we ever get the women, the woman's voice or the women's, you know, perspective on things? Well, it's even worse than that, as you talk about in your book, that even the way that we think about the anatomy and the way that we've named the anatomy, anatomy is patriarchal and male-centered. So I think owning our own sexuality and our bodies is a great way for us to liberate ourselves and to, you know, yeah. claim our truth. I think it's interesting because so many women now are talking about menopause. Like 10 years ago, nobody was talking about menopause. And now there are so much going on. Menopause is a lot going on, you know, legally in various countries where they women are advocating for being able to get estrogen therapies. And you know, we are, we're talking about it, which is why this conversation is so important. So let's talk a little bit about um, the brain. You talk about in your book that the brain is really one of the most important sex organs. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, that's part of why I became a coach, right? Because in my work in the clinic, I see pelvis and pelvis and pelvis, and I can give you great estrogen, we can do physical therapy, I can get your pelvis in pretty good functioning order. But if your thoughts about sex or your enjoyment about sex or your ability to be curious about sex, all that brain stuff, right? Doesn't matter how good your pelvis is, if the brain's leading the, you know, the show, and it's got a lot of negative baggage in it, you're not going to get very far. Yeah. And you, even on your latest podcast, I saw you were talking about pornography and that, you know, really that it's okay that we can use our brains and fantasies to help to stimulate our libido. Yeah, I think that's another myth, right? Especially for women is that fantasies are bad or that they mean something or you need to share them of like fantasies are just really awesome stories that our brains like to, we like stories, especially women. We like context and putting ourselves in a story it can be very arousing. And the brain as well as the pelvis needs arousal in order to enjoy sex. And erotica is one way to get there. Not everybody has to do this. And for a lot of women, audio erotica or reading erotica, because we're, we're able to make the story in our brain better than why watching it. So the watching might be too much or a turnoff for some people, but there are other forms of getting your brain in a sexy context. Yeah. So it's just, just owning that there is so much that you can be doing. So how do, how do you own your orgasm? You have a whole chapter talking about orgasm. How does a woman really claim that pleasure for herself? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is take it out of the hands of your partner, right? The, the Even the way we talk about it is my partner gave me an orgasm. Like it's a gift somebody else gives you instead of it's what your body is doing in response to pleasure and realizing it is you. Your partner's there helping, but it is you that has that orgasm. It is you that's turning pleasure into orgasm. And I think it really starts by women realizing like, do I judge having pleasure? Do I judge spending time for myself? Do I judge taking care of myself? Like all these things that society tells us of like, serve other people first, take care of other people first. And I can't tell you how many women I see, you know, they're in their late fifties, they're in their sixties, they come in and they're like, I haven't taken care of myself in 15 years. I've decided it's time, right? Of like realizing this is important for you. It is your body on earth. Like it's designed to have pleasure. The cool thing about the clitoris is it's one organ that's only job is pleasure. The penis actually has three jobs. So like the clitoris unique in all organs in human body that is only for pleasure. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to be able to own that. I find the same thing in my practice that so often women aren't doing the self-care because for two reasons, they feel guilty. I had this with one woman was a grandmother and I, she wanted to, you know, go to the gym and she wanted to take time to eat right and have pleasure and all of this, all of this stuff. But every time she did that, she felt guilty because she felt like, well, if I'm not available 24-7 for the grandkids, then I won't be needed and loved. This, I don't know if you've, if you've uh, read much on immunity to change, Keegan's work, but it's fascinating if you look subconsciously. And the other thing is we're so darn tired. Like I was kind of joking about the Angeli, Angeli woman. You remember that perfume commercial where, you know, we're expected to like take care of the house and the dog and the kids and the grocery shopping. And I, I can't tell you how many women I coach who are doing everything. Their teenagers aren't helping out. The husband's not helping out. And I think that's an issue I'd love for you to address. What if a woman's like, I'm just too tired. Like what's the role that fatigue plays in terms of having sexual desire? 
Yeah, we know we know that it plays a big role, especially like shift workers, people who aren't sleeping well, people who aren't exercising and eating right. Like the healthier the body is, the more able it is to be able to have an orgasm and enjoy pleasure. We've got tons of studies on that. But you know, a lot of people ask, they're like, well, what, what do I do when I don't have enough time? And I'm like, do you actually want to live a life where you don't have enough time for yourself? Right? Like where you do you want to live a life where you prioritize the dishes every single day over pleasure? Right. To almost like turn the turn the mirror on them to be like, you think you're too busy. It's what you're choosing to spend your time doing. And what we know is that women who take care of themselves and are healthy, they're in a better mood. They have so much more to share with other people. They feel stronger. Right. So it's like self-care is not selfish. It actually is life giving. Yeah, you can't give from an empty cup. So I always tell women, you can give from your overflow when you put your own oxygen mask on first. You have so much more energy for everyone else. So we're going to take a little break and we will be back talking more pleasure with Dr. Kelly after the commercial break. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. Thank you so much for staying tuned. And if you want to get in touch with me, just check out themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And before the break, we were talking to Dr. Kelly Kasperson. She's written an amazing book. It is not dry. It is juicy. It is so packed with information um, that that I think I've learned a ton. And I've learned a ton from my daughter, who's a sexual educator, but I keep learning and growing. I think that's the whole point. A midlife is to learn, to grow, to try new things. And she's the book is called You Are Not Broken. I highly recommend it. And I had a quick question. I'm going to bring on uh, Janice Vissex, who is going to talk about cannabis. Are there topical things that will improve, I guess, the um, 
the texture that you had talked about prescription for estrogen, topical creams, any of the natural creams that have, I guess, yam and those types of things in them, do any of those things work? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's unregulated, right? So as we know with any supplement, there's it's a lot is an unregulated industry. So you don't always know what you're buying is what you're getting. That's my one thought. Whereas you are with an FDA approved pharmaceutical grade product. But there are a lot of what we call vaginal vulvar moisturizers that are there just to help the skin, just like we like more moisture in our face, right? A lot of these good quality products will have hyaluronic acid in it. Um, Bonafide makes one called Reverie. So it's just kind of keeps the moisture locked in. It doesn't change from the inside out like an estrogen product will but it can be enough for some women yeah and certainly lube is always and lube great. for sex yeah, but in, when you're not having sex if you just have vaginal dryness uh, a vulvar moisturizer or a vaginal a suppository that has hyaluronic acid in it some women love that Good, good suggestion. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about cannabis in a moment with uh, Janice Bissex, who is a registered dietitian. She is a holistic cannabis practitioner and a cookbook author. Uh, but first, before I formally introduce her, Janice, do you have a question for Dr. Kelly? Ah, well, I guess I would ask Dr. Kelly um, if she has heard from the people she's worked with, if cannabis can be a helpful aid for because I know there is some research out there showing that people report that using cannabis can increase their desire, can increase their arousal. Uh, so I'm just wondering if uh, Dr. Kelly has had any experience with that. Yeah, there's a lot of different brands that have that are like topical oils or kind of topical lubrication that can bring in sensation can and anytime you're bringing awareness, right, or bringing sensation, there's actually one product, I won't name the name. And it's like, apply to clitoris, rub counterclockwise for at least three minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to increase arousal no matter what's in it. But even just <laughs> I think buying something using it being intentional, like there's something to that too, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more, you know, we haven't been allowed to do a lot of research on cannabis in this country. So I think there's a lot of unknowns there. But certainly yeah. from what I've found, the topical cannabis products are pretty darn safe. Great. And cannabis is a vasodilator. So there's that. If you increase blood flow, that could also help. And it's just yeah. fun, especially fun. if you both enjoy it. I think that's the bottom line is that, you know, sex should be fun. It should be playful and it should just not be, put yourself in a box just to be curious and explore. And again, get Dr. Kelly's book, You Are Not Broken. If you are struggling, it's not you really. And there are solutions out there. So let me introduce Janice. Uh, after her dad found relief from his pain using medical cannabis, she completed training to be a holistic cannabis practitioner to help others suffering from pain, anxiety, insomnia, autoimmune diseases, IBD, IBS, and other debilitating conditions find relief with CBD and cannabis. Now Janice advises clients on, on access proper cannabinoid cannabinoid ratios, dosing, and best consumption methods at, I love this, Janibus Wellness. I have to ask you how you came up with that. Such a great moniker. <laughs> As program director of cannabinoid medical sciences and professor of cannabis therapy at John Patrick University School of Integrative and Functional Medicine, Janice is on a mission to educate fellow healthcare professionals on the potential therapeutic benefits of cannabinoid therapy. And welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Janice. Great to be with you. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your story, because I know Janice and I kind of go back. We were both celebrity chefs, I guess. My gosh, for me, it started in 1996. I was half of the cooking couple, and I know you and your partner were the meal makeover moms. How did you make that transition from celebrity chef to cannabis consultant? <laughs> it was 100% my dad. I mean, honestly, I knew nothing about medical cannabis. I used to use the word medical marijuana. I used to use air quotes because I didn't, I didn't understand it. I grew up in the just say no generation, right? It's bad, it's a gateway drug. And I kind of believed that until my dad, after a couple of years of severe pain and all the pain meds that made him groggy and constipated, requiring a hospital stay, finally I said to his doctor, isn't there anything else we can do for his pain? And we had just passed medical marijuana in Massachusetts in 2016. So I said, what about medical marijuana? And I thought, please say no, please say no, because I don't know anything about this. And the doctor said, I think that's a great idea. Now, first, I'd like to say it's unusual for a doctor to say, 
I think that's a great idea because most doctors would say, oh, we don't have enough research, blah, blah, blah. He said it was a great idea. got my dad certified. He tried it. It actually took his pain away with none of these debilitating side effects. So I was shocked and I said, I need to learn more. So I went back to school, left my previous business of, you know, food blogging and cookbook authoring. And uh, now this is, this is all I do. I just work with people, mostly with CBD, uh, but also some people require cannabis as well. People say, oh, well, the THC is the bad cannabinoid, right? And like, no, 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 it's not at all bad. You just, it's, it depends on the dose. It's like me saying, you know, a glass of wine is bad for you. That's not true. If you drink two bottles of wine at dinner, that's not so good. But a little bit is good. It's the same thing with cannabis. If you use it properly, it's very, very helpful for a lot of people for pleasure, for euphoria, for pain reduction, for anxiety reduction, for autoimmune diseases. The list goes on and on. Yeah, I've become a big advocate. I, I got a med card because of my breast cancer diagnosis. And yeah. although I'm not doing chemo, um, you know, it's really good for the anxiety, the depression, just the the um, just the crazy ride that being a breast cancer patient is has just uh, been difficult. And I, I just find you know, at the end of the day, it's just a great way for me to kind of relax and just have some pleasure and feel normal. Um, so it is wonderful. I think the cool thing is now, as you said, it's dosing. Like, you know, if you take right. something that you get in a dispensary, you're knowing exactly what you're getting, what the dose is. It's not, you know, getting bonk hits in the college frat that it was when people were in college. So let's start right. off just talking about um, what exactly is CBD and what's the difference between CBD and THC? Okay. So they're both cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis and hemp plants. So there are over a hundred cannabinoids in the plant. There are also terpenes and that gives the plant its smell, right? So when you smell cannabis, it's got a pretty unique smell. When you smell lavender, right? When you smell it, you know, that's very calming. That's because of a terpene in the lavender called linalool. There's also linalool in cannabis. And so it, that's part of why we get that anti-anxiety property. The CBD does a lot of other things. So we have cannabinoids in the plant, THC, CBD, and a hundred others. We have terpenes and we also have flavonoids. So Ellen, you and I are dietitians. We tell people eat your fruits and vegetables, right. partly because of the flavonoids. Well, cannabis has flavonoids too. So it has all these great things. And the beauty of cannabis is the way they all work synergistically. All these parts of the plant work synergistically. So when someone says, well, here, I'll give you Marinol, a pharmaceutical THC, that's not the same. That's just a single molecule of THC. That's not going to provide you with that, all the health benefits that the whole plant can. So THC is a cannabinoid. It is. It can be intoxicating at high levels. CBD is non-intoxicating. It's not correct to say that it's not psychoactive because CBD does affect your brain. It's got a neurocalming effect. It's just that it's not intoxicating. It will not impair you in any way. Yeah. So it's important to know that the plant itself is a whole array. It's like a rainbow. And the cannabinoid is just referring to the chemicals that are in cannabis, correct? Yes. Yeah. And those, um, the smell is so interesting when I think about essential oils and the smell, uh, we don't think so much. And we're talking about pleasure of our, you know, olfactory organs, which are brains right, right behind it. So it's going very quickly to your brain. So, so um, what is this? We talked a little bit about cannabinoids. So what is the cannabinoid system that we have in our bodies and how does that work? It's called the endocannabinoid system. And it's a neuroregulatory system in our bodies that I was never trained in. I don't know about Dr. Kelly or, or you, Ellen, but this is, it was only discovered in the 1990s. And still there are medical schools, a lot that do not teach about medical cannabis or the endocannabinoid system, which is, it's ridiculous because we have receptors from head to toe. We have cannabinoid receptors in our brain, on our immune cells, in our gut. We have receptors that are there to, to accept the cannabinoids in the cannabis plant, which seems kind of weird. Why would we have all these receptors, right, for cannabinoids in the plant? Well, the reason is we make cannabinoids in our body. We've studied two of them more extensively. Anandamide is one. 
It's called the bliss molecule. And if you make a lot of anandamide, your incidence of anxiety and depression is lower. So people who make all this anandamide, they're those happy people out there that everything's great, nothing bothers them. And then there's 2-AG, which is another cannabinoid in the plant that if you have a, a head injury, your body produces a lot of 2-AG because it is neuroprotective and it will go to your brain, decrease the inflammation and decrease that long-term damage. So if you take CBD, what it does is it allows your body to retain more of this bliss molecule, more anandamide. So that's partly how it can decrease anxiety. It also increases, it allows your body to retain more serotonin. So it, it, it works within your endocannabinoid system as opposed to some pharmaceuticals you know, that might sort of come in with a hammer. Cannabinoids are a little bit more subtle. They, they work with your system. The, the endocannabinoid system, the goal of that system is homeostasis, it's balance. So when you get out of balance for whatever reason, your body tries to get it back in balance and CBD is a cannabinoid that can help with that and cannabis in general. Yeah. And it doesn't have a lot of this, doesn't have any of the side effects of, right. of traditional pharmaceuticals. So what are some of the most common reasons that someone would want to start with CBD, which is legal throughout the United States now. You can, yeah. you know, it's easy to get. You don't need any special medical license or anything. But why would someone want to start taking CBD? The most common reasons are pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Those are the three top reasons that people use CBD and also cannabis. Uh, so that's, that's, I deal with a lot of clients with pain. That and anxiety and well and insomnia all three <laughs> all three people say oh I can't sleep and especially you know around menopause sleep becomes a little bit more elusive we wake up in the middle of the night then we can't get back to sleep partly it's because our minds go and go and go what what do we have to do tomorrow what do we not do today I'm worried about my kid I'm worrying about my aging parents so that's one way that CBD can help because of that neural calming effect. It just allows you, people say to me, it takes the edge off of my anxiety. And so it can help you go back, go back to sleep. Yeah. All of those are interactive too. If you're in, you know, if you're in pain or you're feeling anxious about being in pain and you're worrying about your sleep, it's not like one issue is separate, but CBD can kind of address all of them. So how do you start to figure out how much to dose? Well, that's the million dollar question. I always start people, it's always start low and go slow. So we start at a low dose. So I I have a water-soluble tincture that people love. I tell people to start with three drops, which is about three milligrams, very tiny dose, in a little bit of water and drink it. And I say, do that for a few days, two or three times a day, see how you feel. Some people actually find relief at that low dose. So if I start them at 20 drops, we would never know if they would get relief at two. And we also want to make sure, even though there, it, there aren't many side effects, the potential ones are if someone has really low blood pressure and takes a large dose of CBD because it's a vasodilator, right? It opens up our blood vessels, which is a good thing for the most part. But if you have very low blood pressure and you take a huge dose, you could get lightheaded. So that's why we start really low and work our way up. And so it, it really, I would say most of my clients use about 10 to 12 drops of this particular, it's highly bioavailable. So if you use an edible, you would need more because you lose some in the, in the gut, in the digestion. Um, and then you have to be careful of any potential uh, drug interaction. And there aren't that many, but I always check whenever I work with clients, okay, what, what meds are you taking? If you're taking Coumadin and you take a big dose of CBD at the exact same time, there could be an interaction. And we know that Coumadin, Warfarin, it has a very narrow therapeutic window. So we need to be careful with that. We either separate the dose. I wouldn't probably give them an edible or a soft gel because that requires this enzyme in the liver that they both use to be metabolized. Great information. So start low and go slow. More is not necessarily better. And what is about the, even if someone's starting to experiment Kind of what's the reaction time? So how many minutes should they wait before they, they determine whether or not the, the cannabis, the CBD is having an impact? Well, 
it depends. If you're using an edible, and this is especially true with THC, if you go to a dispensary and you say, oh, I'm going to experiment with, with THC and you buy an edible and you take a five milligram gummy and you wait 30 minutes or an hour and you say, that didn't affect me. So then you eat another one. That's a problem. You have to wait two hours for THC because you can become very impaired. People have bad experiences. When someone says, oh, I had a bad experience with, with cannabis, I say, you used an edible, right? Yes, you took too much. People should start with two milligrams, two and a half milligrams for the first few times that they use an edible, a THC edible. Uh, and then again, slowly work your way up. And you rec- what, what form do you recommend if someone wants to start with CBD? Do you recommend edibles? Do you recommend the, the drops that you're saying? What's kind of the best depends way on, to start? It depends on the person. If someone has knee pain, I might say try a topical. See if we can get relief with the topical. And some people do. If someone needs fast relief, then it would be the water-soluble tincture because that takes effect quickly. And edible takes a couple hours. If you have severe pain, you don't want to wait two hours for relief. Um, a sublingual tincture. That takes about 15 to 30 minutes. That's another option. The fastest route is inhalation. I mean, that's the very, so if someone has going for chemotherapy and they have nausea, that's what they need, a vape pen where they can get really fast, fast relief. So it really depends on the person, depends on their lifestyle, which, which would be better. And how does someone shop for it, particularly CBD? So, I mean, obviously cannabis, you know, you have to, go to a dispense. If you're getting THC, you're going to a dispensary, you get either in a state that has recreational or you have a medical marijuana license, but for people who want CBD and I know, you know, CBD was like the hottest thing. It was in bath bombs. It was in like (laughs) snack bars. It was in, it's now it's in drinks. So how do you know that you're actually getting something that has a therapeutic ability to support you? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, frankly, because the FDA did a study and found that 70% of CBD products on the market were mislabeled. So some of them had zero CBD, you know, and it's, again, you don't want to buy your CBD at Bed Bath & Beyond or at the local gas station because it's probably not the best quality. And it's expensive. You know, it's expensive to grow a plant to you have to dry it you have to cure it you have to extract the oil and make products so you know these these bad players were out there saying hey i can get 50 or 100 bucks and i'll put some olive oil in a, in a little bottle and sell it the snake oil so you have to be careful you have to ask for a certificate of analysis a coa because any good company will have a coa that they can say okay it says a thousand milligrams on this label guess what we tested it and there are a thousand milligrams in this bottle. So ask for a COA. I like organically grown hemp uh, or, or cannabis because it's a remediator plant, so it draws toxins out of the soil. So I would like organically grown. I prefer USA grown. And um, see, talk to someone at the company. I mean, if you're going to buy something that there's no help, no one can answer your questions, that may not be the best route. So that's what I would recommend. Look for look for a COA. Look for a company that's reputable. And when you're working with a client, what how what do you do? You sell through your website, or do you give them well, specific? Well, I do. I do. And believe me, as a dietitian, I did not want to sell product. That's just not in my wheelhouse. But because of the fact that there are so many really inferior quality products out there, I thought really the only way that I can be sure that my clients get a good quality is to source it myself. So I did a ton of research you know, found an organically grown broad spectrum and full spectrum products that have all the cannabinoids, not an isolate. You can buy a cheap isolate at the gas station. You don't want an isolate. So I, so I do, I, I sell them under my Janibus wellness label. Well, it's a great site with tons of information. So I would love to know, Dr. Kelly, could you unmute? Do you have a question for Janice? I just thank you for being here. Like people need to hear the way you deliver it of like, you know, your stuff, you know, buyer beware, like just the way you do it is so incredibly beautiful. It's not so much a question as a compliment to, to what you're doing and who you're trying to serve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you are. That. So it's, and it's so nice too, for our profession, right? Because you think about dietitians with sensible shoes, but there's a lot of things that we do. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your books. Cause I know you've got two and I love that you've got a cookbook because of course you bringing in that culinary background that you have. 
Right. Well, the, the two, my two most recent books, the first one I wrote, this was during the pandemic. I wrote just Simple Guide to CBD, which is just, it's a, just a little book and it teaches you about what is CBD, based, the stuff that we talked about, but more detail. And I do have some recipes in the back that you can make some CBD, you know, brownies or, or whatever. And then last year, since the pandemic was still here, um, I wrote another book, Simple Guide to Cannabis Gardening. And I wrote this because I tried to grow cannabis a couple of years ago and I failed miserably. So I talked to a lot of people who are much smarter than I am as far as growing and decided I need to teach people because if you can grow your own medicine, how cool is that, right? Instead of going to a dispensary, you can grow a plant and harvest it. It's, it's a lot, it's work because you have to dry it and cure it. I've been in trim gel. (laughs) Trimming, trimming all the buds and then burping them every day, right? To cure them. But, but it's very, very rewarding. And then you can use that as your medicine. You can microdose. I mean, I made a tea for people, uh, someone who says it helps her sleep immensely. Just have a little cup of tea with a little bit of cannabis flower in there. It's not impairing, but it helps you sleep. So I think, I think people, if they can, should, should just try growing a plant. So that's why I did that to make it easy for people like me who really aren't green thumbs and don't know anything about gardening. I wish I had told you to connect with, with, uh, with my caddy. Cause he grows, actually, he just bought 12 seeds and 11 germinated, but the whole trimming thing, it is, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Great luck. So we only have 30 seconds real quickly. Janice it's Janibus.com. Correct. Janibuswellness.com. Janibuswellness.com. It's cannabis with a J. Janibuswellness.com. And Dr. Kelly, how do people reach you? KellyCaspersonMD.com or on Instagram, KellyCaspersonMD. The podcast is You Are Not Broken. Yes. And the book is You Are Not Broken, too. So thank you so much, ladies. You have really helped women rock their midlife. I encourage you to go out there and have an orgasm. Get some pleasure, try some <laughs> CBD. Really, again, pleasure is the way you thank the universe for being alive. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me know what you think about the show and reach out to me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And we'll have a new episode for you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real discover who you are and get the tools to navigate your life until we talk again have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Ver-